we begin a journey this morning, way back in the book of Deuteronomy, being reminded that when a Jewish family had a child, that God had commanded them to teach His statutes from the time the children were born. In fact, you recall one of the passages we sometimes use when we think about being godly parents is that passage that talks about teaching the commandments of God all the time, when you rise up, when you lie down, when you walk by the way, and all, all those different things found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And the parents were to teach the children and their children's children all the way through the generations everything that God said and everything that God had done. And for those who were faithful to that command, from the time a child was born, they were hearing the Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures, and it was virtually accepted and required that when a child basically could speak, that they were able to quote fairly massive passages of Scripture. But that came back to some basic passages that they were required at the very beginning, basically from when they could talk. Fast forward in that journey a few thousand years to the time of a little boy born in Bethlehem. And be reminded that Jesus was raised in a Jewish home. And so from the time Jesus himself was born, Joseph and Mary would have taught him the Scriptures. They would have said Scriptures all around him. And even Jesus, from the time he was able to speak, would have been expected to be able to say certain passages of Scripture that became the foundation for not only his life, but for his belief as a follower of that Old Testament law. Until, of course, he himself fulfilled it and took it out of the way by being nailed to the cross. Fast forward a couple of thousand years. And no, this is not a sermon on parenting. Instead, it's a sermon about the fact that sometimes when we are asked the question, what did Jesus say is the greatest commandment of all of them? We say what we just sang. Oh, the greatest commandment of them all is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then remind ourselves that Jesus then summarized the fact that upon these hang all the law and the prophets. But did you notice in that passage that Brother David read for us a few minutes ago, that there was something that Jesus said before he gave those words that we sometimes sing together, in that song that we call The Greatest Commands. I want us to think this morning about the words in Mark chapter 12 that are found before love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love neighbor as self. We might put it this way. These words serve as the basis for them. Because if someone were to walk up to you off the street and just say, you should love God and love neighbor, that might sound like a really good thing. But in the back of our mind, one of the lingering questions is, Why? Why should I love God with everything I've got? And why should I love my neighbor as I love myself? What's the basis for those two greatest commands? And Jesus gives it to us in that passage. It's found in a text that we also sang together this morning. Ricky did a great job selecting songs this morning. It's a passage that the Hebrews, the Jews, would have called the Shema. If you can read those middle three lines, I wish you would be up here instead of me because I can't read a word of them. And by the way, if you're reading left to right, you're reading them wrong. They go right to left. I I at least know that much. But that's the way that this text, Deuteronomy 6, would have been found in the Old Testament in the original Hebrew. Underneath it is, of course, the way you and I know it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
The reason it's called the Shema is because the very first word of that in Hebrew is the Hebrew word Shema. But I want us to think this morning about that one statement, that one foundational or, or basic statement that if you remember is also found before the way we began our journey. We began our journey in Deuteronomy chapter 6. You shall teach these things to your children. What should you teach your children? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment of them all? That's where he begins. He doesn't begin with love God, love neighbor. He begins with hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I want us to look at this one simple statement this morning and realize that there may be more here than we even have thought of before. And how understanding that then can give us a greater understanding of those greatest commands. First of all, think about the fact that this text tells us to hear, but maybe it means more than that. This is one of those contexts where I don't think Jesus is, is trying to be entrapped. I don't think people are trying to trap him. Because you remember in the text that David read for us a few moments ago from Mark chapter 12, the Bible tells us that the religious leaders were already having this discussion. And it seems that what is happening here is that here comes Jesus, another in their mind, just another teacher, another rabbi, and they're going to say, hey, you weigh in on this conversation. We're disagreeing. What's the greatest commandment of them all? And in fact, they probably were asking something like this. What's the essence of the Old Testament law? We, we might put it this way. If you were going to try to boil down all of those commands, there are 613 of them found in the Old, Old Testament. If you were going to try to boil all of those down, not for simplicity's sake as far as easy to follow, but just so I can get my head around all of them, what would be the essence of that? And basically they're saying, Jesus, would you weigh in on that conversation? As a great teacher, as a rabbi, what, what do you think about this? And he begins with, Shema, hear. But we use the word hear to mean more than just taking in sound sometimes, don't we? If you are or have ever been a parent, I guarantee you've used the word hear more than just taking in sound, haven't you? Because you've probably looked at your kids before and said something like, I know you're getting what I'm saying, but you're not hearing me. You're not really hearing it might be a teacher who looks at her classroom and says, I know you're listening, but you're not hearing what I'm saying. We somehow know what that means because we use the word hear to mean a wide range of things. The Old Testament, of course, was written in Hebrew. And the Hebrew language used in the Old Testament doesn't have that many words. That's not a knock on it. It's just the way it is. In fact, it's a very beautiful thing. And that's one reason why when we study from the Old Testament, we might say something like, this word can mean this, but it can also be translated this, and they don't contradict one another. Instead, they build a broader picture. They, they flesh out a more beautiful picture. And that's exactly the case with this word. You see, the word Shema carries with it a lot of ideas. Yes, it does mean to take in sound. It also carries with it the idea of taking heed to what you have heard, and it also can mean to respond with action to what has been heard. And so when God in the book of Deuteronomy, and then when Christ in the book of Mark were saying, here is what I am laying down, the first word, the very first word, would have meant what I'm getting ready to say, you hear it, and 
you do it. You follow it. It becomes the basis for this command. There was a lady two or three years ago that wrote a book about the Jewish background of some of the things that Jesus taught. And in her studies, she talks about how she had studied the Hebrew language. And in one of her classes, an elementary level class, or we might call it a 101 level class, she says there was a student in that class who had studied Hebrew before, but had to have it for this particular study, and so he liked to show off his knowledge. He liked to come to class late, he liked to leave class early, he liked to goof off during class. When the teacher would ask what seemed to be a pretty easy question of someone else, he'd like to jump in with the answer, and it frustrated everybody else. And so finally one day, one of the students asked the professor, how do you tell someone to obey? And the professor's one word answer was, Shema. And this lady said, I had never heard that before. She knew the word, but she knew it from Hero Israel. And so she said, I went and looked at my Bible study program on my computer and realized that almost, not, not without exception, but almost every time in the Old Testament you see the word obey, it's this word. In fact, the word Shema is found 1,189 times in the Hebrew Bible. And in the King James translation, 89 of those are translated the word obey or obedience. You see, when God laid down this command, He was not just giving a sound to be taken into our mind. He was saying, here is something I want you to listen to, to take in and live out. All of that is found in this foundational statement. Let me go ahead and tie this to the end of the sermon. I'll get to in just a moment. What's the basis for loving God with everything we have and loving neighbor as ourself is far more than just taking in some sound. It's living it out. Here, O Israel. But also found in this one statement, you have two descriptions of God. You may notice in your Bible that the word Lord, this is one of those times where you have the capital L and then a smaller but still capital O-R-D, a small cap. O-R-D. And many of you know that what that means is this is the word that comes to us from Jehovah or Yahweh. Some have called it the Jewish national name of God. But the word just means the self-existing or the self-sufficient one. The Lord. That is a powerful thought. That God is the self-existing Self-sufficient one. I love that many Bibles set this apart by that different typeface to remind us of this very powerful word. You've probably heard it said before that we're not 100% sure how to pronounce the original Hebrew word. We say Jehovah, that's more of a, an English, English-sized word, uh, version of it. Yahweh is probably the way the Hebrews would have pronounced it, but we're not 100% sure. And there's a couple of reasons why it's the case. One is the Hebrew language has no vowels. So we're not sure what vowels to put in there. The Old Testament Hebrew did not. But also because this is the word that over the years, many Old Testament teachers would not say. They were afraid of mispronouncing it. And so they just simply did not pronounce it. And so over the years, it's really lost to us how to properly pronounce this original word. But that shows us the respect 
that these teachers had for God himself and for the name of God. So sometimes we say Yahweh, sometimes we say Jehovah, but this is the word Lord. 6,500 times, more than that in fact, in the Old Testament is where, how many times this is found. He is the self-sufficient one. But you also see in this statement that he is God. Elohim or Elohim. This is how the Bible begins. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. What's interesting about this word, and in fact I made a mistake on the PowerPoint, I'll point out in just a second. The definition is rulers, judges, or divine ones. Do you see the mistake I made on there yet? I typed the singular. This is actually a plural word. The word means rulers, plural, judges, plural, divine ones, plural. And you're going, wait a minute. I thought there was only one God. Oh, there is. But this word is actually a general word. You'll find it in your Old Testament talking about other entities and beings than the God of heaven. It describes other kings and rulers in the Old Testament at times. Not often, but at times. But there was a phrase as I was studying for this sermon that I came across and I went, okay, my mind just melted. Because there was a phrase that they said, this word, what it is in the original language is, are you ready for this one? A plural intensive with singular meaning. And I said, I'm done for the day. I have no earthly idea what that means. Basically, what they're saying is, depending on how it is used, this word can be a singular word, and that is most surely true when we're talking about the God of heaven. We know He is singular. We know He is one. And so a plural word can be used of Him because He is the ruler of all rulers. He is the judge of all judges. He is the divine one among any others we above any others we might think of as divine ones or set apart ones. He is God. It's interesting to me that if you if we were able to read that Hebrew that I put up there a few moments ago, the word our, the Lord our God, the word our is not actually in there. So how does that come to us? That phrase, the Lord our God, the word our is not there. Was the Bible wrong? No. Put these two together. Remember I told you that Jehovah or Yahweh is the Hebrew national name for God? What God is trying to say to His people was this. The Lord, the self-existing one, the one whom we serve, He is the ruler above all other rulers. All of that is contained in one phrase. And so, when we're asked, what's the greatest commandment of them all? Well, you love God and love neighbor. Why? Because this is the same God that we still serve. He is still Lord. He is still the self-existing, self-sufficient one. He is still the I Am, as He told Moses at the burning bush. And He is still the great King above all gods. He is still ruling over everything and will for all eternity. And so the Lord, our God. The final phrase I want us to think about is this. I want us to think about that little phrase, the Lord is one. Do you remember a few minutes ago when I told you that there were, a lot of, there were not a lot of Hebrew words in the Old Testament, a lot of different words, but that gives them a wide range of meaning? 
This is one of those times. In fact, if you're reading from an English Standard Version, you may notice that there is a footnote behind what this last phrase can mean. The Lord is one. Now, of course, it can be translated that. If your Bible says the Lord is one, that's a fantastic translation. And by the way, it fits very well with something we just talked about. If that word Elohim is plural, then just in case we get in our mind that, wait a minute, maybe there's more than one God out there. Oh, no, no. Elohim is one. There is only one God. Now, if you can explain that to me, how Father, Son, and Spirit can be one, I will gladly sit down. I have no earthly idea how to explain the concept of the Trinity, how there is Father, Son, and Spirit, and yet all are God. This idea of the Trinity is one of my college professors prefers to call it the triunity. We simply cannot explain how these three distinct personalities are all part of the one great God, the only God. He is one. But that's not the only way this word can be translated. And when you put these translations together, you get a glorious picture of who God really is. You see, this word can also be translated as first or chief. God is first. There are no other gods. Well, there are still gods that people make up. Throughout the years, how many different deities have people worshipped? And yet, the God of the Bible has always been. He was first. And any God or anything we might worship... He is above that. He is the chief. He is first above them all. Over and over and over again, the gods and deities that people make up crumble and fall. But the God of heaven not only continues, it comes to our mind to realize He has always been. He is first. But He is also unique. As the song says, there is no one like our God. People can come up with all sorts of powerful beings and worship them. But they cannot conceive of a being like the God of the Bible. Like the only true God. If you really pay attention to what people worship, the deities they come up with, in the end, they're a lot like them. They may be more powerful. They may be almost superhero-like. But we have to give them our own qualities and kind of make them just superhuman. There's no one like our God. He is the only being who is self-sufficient, who is self-existing, who is eternal, no no beginning and no ending. He is the only one who is literally all-knowing, who is literally all-powerful, who is literally all-benevolent, and who is perfectly just on top of all of that. We We cannot conceive a being like that. He's unique. Among anything and anyone that people worship, There's only this God. But this word can also mean the word alone. He alone is God. In fact, some modern Jewish Bibles actually translate this this way. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, He alone is God. Is the way many of them are now translating that. And this reminds us of the holiness of God. The word holy just means set apart or separate. He alone is God. Many of you are or have in school before studied things like mythology. And the stories are kind of cool and kind of fun sometimes to study. But if you really stop and think about it, a lot of those deities that the people worshipped, they were kind of scoundrels (laughs) when you pull down to it. They were kind of weird on top of that, but, but they were 
scoundrels, they did all kinds of devious, mischievous, we might even say immoral things in order to stay as deities. God is holy. He's perfect. He never has to resort to the mischievous. He doesn't have to resort to the immoral. He is set apart. He is different. He is holy. And so He alone is God. And so when someone asks, what's the greatest command of all of them? Oh, love God, love neighbor. Why? Because the God that I'm to love is one. He's the first and chief God. He's unique. And He alone is God. And by the way, He alone is the creator of the neighbor that I'm supposed to love as well. Hero Israel. The Lord our God. The Lord is one. You boil down everything that that one little phrase entails. And what does it mean? Hear, heed, and do. Based upon what? The self-sufficient one. The one we serve. Our ruler, our judge, the divine one. He alone is first, unique, and chiefly, God. Go backwards in time. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment of them all? We've got a little conversation going on here. And we'd like for you to solve this problem. You're, you're a great rabbi. We, we might not agree with everything you say, but you're, you're a great teacher, so would you weigh in on this conversation? What's... What's the essence of the Old Testament law? Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And because of that, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And I'm going to give you a bonus. The second's like to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What was the response of the people? You said right. To love God and love neighbor. That's, that's the essence of the law. Have you noticed? Have you noticed? Even they, in that statement, did not quote the full Shema. The basis. Back up with me again. Jesus is a little baby. And you see him in that little manger. You see him on Mary's arm, in Mary's arms or on Joseph's knee. And you can just hear their voices. Shema. Israel. Yahweh. Elohim. Elohim Echad. Shema. Israel. Yahweh, Elohim, Elohim, Ichad. And from the time he could speak, our Lord would stand up and say, Hero Israel.
the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Why? Back up one more time. Because God had commanded families from the time their children were as small as they could be. You teach your children. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Why do we struggle so much in our lives with truly, deeply loving God? Why do we often struggle so much with really loving neighbor as we may not like to admit it, but as we love ourselves? Maybe, just maybe, it's because we've forgotten the basis upon which that stands. That that same God of Deuteronomy 6 the same one that Christ pointed people to, he still alone is God. And when I understand him, it will be the deepest desire of my heart to love him with everything I have. And when I understand that everyone around me is created by him in his image, I won't just love myself, I'll love them. You see, when someone asks you, you got a whole big long Bible there. You go to church on Sunday morning, you got Bible classes, man, that's a thick book. Could you narrow it down for me? Could you just give me a simplified version? Could you give me the Cliffs Notes? Could you summarize the Bible for me? Don't jump to love God with everything you got and love neighbor to yourself before you tell them you better be willing to hear and obey what the self sufficient ruling one says. Because until I understand that, I'll never love him and others the way he commands. That's what comes before the greatest commands. This morning, do you need to come to that one who is the almighty, self-sufficient, ruling one? And the one who loves you and loved you first. If so, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.